If you got your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, this is a letter, as we've been talking about, going through this book, um, written by an unknown person. You know, we all have our speculations, <clears throat> Priscilla, but uh, who cares who wrote it? Uh, we know that the Holy Spirit inspired it, and he wrote it to, or she wrote it to, um, a group of Hebrews, a group of Jews that had decided to put faith in Jesus Christ, but then they faced persecution. Some of them were, being, uh, were facing death. At the end of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, if you want to skip ahead and read it, and I'd encourage you, read through the book of Hebrews during this time. Uh, let it just marinate in your heart, in your mind. This has been one of my favorite books for a long time, but uh, I'm learning so much even as we go through this, uh, this series. But in the end of Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about those who uh, faced persecution. They were being sawn in two. They were being cut in half, literally. They were facing uh, gladiators and animals in the, the, the Roman Colosseum for sport. They were being ripped to pieces by lions for sport because they were Christians. You got to understand that this is not just, you know, they stubbed their toe or that they, you know, had some kind of disease or that life was just not fair or hard. I mean, they were literally being torn apart for their faith in Christ. And so like any normal person, they were afraid. They didn't know if they wanted to face that. And so they were considering turning back. And the writer of Hebrews writes to them and says, don't turn back. Jesus is better. He's better than anything. Don't think that if you go back to the old way, it's going to be better. Yeah, maybe you won't face the same level of persecution. Maybe you won't face the same kind of death. But Jesus is better. This letter doesn't have the normal greetings that we see in most of the letters in the New Testament. There's not, you know, this is from this person to this person. They just dive right in. They're like, here, we got to cut to this. We got to tell you Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets. Jesus is better than any message God has ever spoken. He's the final message that God has spoken. That's what we talked about in week one. Last week, we talked about how he's better than angels. He's better than those messengers, those heavenly beings. And we talked and we put that into perspective. And then we pause now. Because right here at the beginning of the chapter, and you've got to remember, this letter was written word for word from start to finish. The writer of this letter did not put chapters and verses. Okay? The men who translated this book put chapters and verses to make it easier for us to reference. Okay, there were no chapters and references. So he was talking about how great angels are. And he said, the last verse, remember, angels are spirits that are sent to minister to those who inherit salvation. And then he pauses and he gives us this warning in Hebrews chapter two, verse one. And then he's gonna come back in verse five and continue his conversation about angels. And we're gonna talk about that next week with our perfect man. But this week, it's called keep your bearings, keep your bearings. I would do well to listen to that message. Hebrews chapter two, verse one. We must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels, through angels, we talked about angels. The message God delivered through angels in the Old Testament has always stood firm and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. Now, in Exodus chapter 20, when the law was given, there's no record that an angel was present. But in Deuteronomy chapter 33, when Moses is rehearsing or re going over, I don't know what the word would be, but going over again um, what had happened on Mount Sinai, he references an angel, the thousands of angels that came with God. And so that's what the writer here is referencing. He's referencing the law that was given through Moses, that God spoke it and gave it to Moses, and it has stood firm from that moment, and it's still standing firm today. God's word never changes. It stands firm. And every disobedience, everything that was given in the law had a corresponding disobedience. If you do this, this happens. If you do this, this happens. If you do this, this happens. Uh, every single one of them, that's what he's referencing. So look at this, verse three. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation? Okay, the law was one thing, but as we learned in week one, the message that Jesus brought to earth if we ignore or neglect that message, what makes us think there won't be a corresponding dilemma, a corresponding problem, a corresponding punishment for it? In fact, the scripture doesn't say that we go to hell because we've sinned, because Jesus did away with that. 
We go to hell because we reject Jesus. We're condemned because we refuse to put faith in what Jesus did for us. Jesus is no longer counting our sin against us. God is taking care of it by sending his son. So now we are separated from God, not because of sin, but because of our rejection of God. Sin is done with. It's dealt with. All you got to do is put faith in Jesus and it's dealt with. That's what he says. So if we think we can ignore that message, that truth, there's going to be a problem. There's going to be a corresponding dilemma, if you will, punishment, if you will. This message was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself. God spoke it through his son, remember, from Hebrews chapter 1. Then it was delivered to us by those who heard him speak. Okay? Now, one of the reasons I don't think Paul wrote this book is because Paul wouldn't have said it was delivered to us by those who heard him because Paul himself heard Jesus, remember, on the Damascus Road. And any other time Jesus references or Paul references something in the scripture, he doesn't say someone taught me. Jesus taught me, he says. And so here, this person is saying, we're relying on the eyewitnesses of Jesus. They gave us this record. We know what Jesus said. We know what Jesus taught. We know who Jesus is because the people who were present with him wrote it down so you and I don't have to guess. So you and I don't have to go, well, I feel like Jesus is this. No, I don't care what you feel like Jesus is. We got the record of who Jesus was. And so we can put our faith and our confidence uh, in that message. God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. God confirmed the word with signs and wonders. Now, just because it says God confirmed it then with signs and wonders does not mean he doesn't still confirm it with signs and wonders. In fact, God still today confirms his word through the Bible. It says it. He confirms his word through signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Spirit even today. Okay? But it says, as he chooses. Now, some people say, well, God chooses, so it's not me who chooses. Right. Jesus himself didn't even perform a miracle at his own choosing. Remember what he said? I don't do what I choose. I do what I see the Father doing. I do what the Father tells me. Jesus didn't do anything on earth that he wanted to do. He did what the Father led him, showed him to do. He didn't want to do that. I mean, he did it willingly because it was the will of the Father. But he said it himself. If it's possible, I don't want that. But not what I want, what you want. And so what the writer here is saying, he's pausing in the middle of this to warn us and say, guess what? Don't ignore, don't neglect this message that's been given to, by Jesus. Because if you look at the punishments, if you look at what happened to those who rejected the old covenant, it was bad. You could die by ignoring the law. If you didn't, well, I, you know, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't mean to do that, but I, I, I did it. Too bad. You should have been paying attention. The law said don't do that. And so you could die. There would be major consequence for not doing it. In the same way, this great message, this message that Jesus brought that's even greater than that, if we don't pay attention to it, the consequences could be even greater for us. You say, well, how could, what could be greater than death? Eternal death. Eternal separation from God. In Hebrews, there are five different warnings that are given throughout the book. And this is the first of those five. And this one is the shortest of the five. And this one is the softest of the five. They kind of seem to get more progressively uh, difficult or strong as the book progresses. In Hebrews chapter 2 here, we're warned, be careful that you don't drift away from the message. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're warned against defying the message. Now, there's a huge difference between drifting and defying. Okay, but I almost, I believe that the, the messages kind of go through. In fact, as we see today, this drifting that we're warned about, the messages, the warnings that come later, and we're going to look at them, are going to show us that that's what happens when we drift away. That's the progression of warning that comes throughout this entire message. And the author says, we have to pay careful attention. We. The author lumps themselves in with them. 
He's not saying you have to pay more attention. He says we have to pay attention. Showing us that you don't ever get to this level of spiritual maturity where you can just coast. You never get to the place where you are no longer in danger of not drifting away. This is a very important message for us to hear. Because sometimes we think that, you know, it's one thing to be openly defiant against God. But it's another thing if we, you know, just don't really pay attention. I mean, I'm not openly defying. I mean, I believe God's word is true. I just don't really pay attention much to it. I don't really read it very much. And we think that that's not as bad. You know, we don't see the connection that doing nothing is actually a problem in the spiritual realm. And we see it in the natural realm. If you plant a garden and you do nothing, you're gonna have some problems, aren't you? You're not going to get as good of a crop. If you don't water it, if you don't weed it, it's not going to look good. So doing nothing doesn't produce good stuff. If you buy a house and you do nothing, we would never do that. We wouldn't even think of it. It would deteriorate. You got to update stuff. You got to replace stuff. It's just got to, you, you have to. Praise God that we were able to update a bathroom that was 30 years old, toilets that no longer function, water that leaked all over the floor, made water stains. It had to be done. We had to replace things that were there. If you go in, they're, look, they're not sparkling gold toilets. They're just white, porcelain, just like you have in your home. But they had to be replaced because things deteriorate. And so just ignoring the message can be just as dangerous as defying the message. Actually, the scripture says it's even more dangerous because we drift. We don't even realize it. We drift away. See, we start over here. We give our lives to the Lord and we, oh God, I'm gonna serve you, I'm gonna follow you. And then over here is complete disobedience to God. I'm not doing what God's asked me to do. I'm not doing what God says. My life doesn't reflect who he is. And now, if I went from there to here in one day, I'd notice it. I'd recognize, hey, my life isn't what it should be, but that's not what happens. See, we just decide, man, I should just, I, I don't really have time to read the word today. I mean, I don't, and before we know it, you know, two or three weeks goes by and maybe we read it once or twice and uh, maybe I read it, but I didn't really meditate on it or think about it. And, you know, I, I heard that sermon and I raised my hand. The pastor said, how many of you need that word today? And it was for me. And I, I even went to the altar and I cried and a little puddle was on the altar. And, you know, I, I said, Lord, I'm never going to do it again. But, I, you know, I didn't, the next day I didn't say, you know, God, help me to, to maintain that. Help me to live that. I, 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 it's not that I said, God, no. I just, you know, God, I'm busy. I got a lot of stuff going on. And see, we take these little steps. And all of a sudden, before we rec recognize it, we're over here. But we don't know we're over here. We still think we're over there because we've drifted. And it was so subtle and it was so slow. And that's what the, the Hebrews warning. Some of you are like, wow, that sounds like a big warning. I don't want to read these other warnings. But, but this, is, this is what he's saying. It can happen without recognizing it. If you don't pay attention to where you are. What's the standard? The standard isn't how I feel today. Because how I feel, if I'm right here, I might feel like me and Jesus are right on. But if I look at the standard, which is over there where I started, I recognize I've drifted. I mean, I could ask other people who are right here with me, hey, what do you think about this topic? What do you think about that? What do you think about this? Or I can go back to the standard. Paul says, don't let, you, don't let yourselves be deceived like Eve, who was led away. You heard the message as it was first proclaimed. The message you first accepted. The experience you had with God at camp. The experience you had with God at last year's women's retreat. Those things that God put in your heart, that was the Lord. It wasn't emotionalism. It was the truth of the word. And when you heard it, the Holy Spirit opened your heart and you heard it and you made a commitment and that was right. 
And I'm not saying you just have to will yourself to do it. We still have to say, God, I know what is right. I know what is true. And there's no condemnation. I, I, I messed up today. Look at me. I already took this step today. I got to come back over here. I'm coming back to the standard. I'm putting my faith in you again. I'm not going to rationalize it and say, well, you know, there's a reason why I took this step. There's a reason why I took this step. There's a reason why I took this step. There's a reason why I didn't read the word today. There's, a re there's always a reason. But the writer of Hebrews is warning us. Those, those reasons might be there, but you've got to listen carefully. You've got to listen to the message. And Jesus himself in John chapter 14 says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. He's the truth. This book is a revelation of Jesus and the message he brought us. And it does not change when our culture changes. The truth of God's word stands firm in the heavens. And because you feel something today doesn't matter. And if you're relying on what you read 30 years ago when you got saved and you're not reading it daily and you're not meditating on it daily, don't, don't fool yourself. You're drifting away. You're drifting from that standard. And you gotta go back. The nice thing is, is no matter how far you drift, I wish I could do this, but I, I can't unless I prayed and the Lord answered my prayer. The moment you confess and say, Lord, I have drifted bring me back. You know what he does? He like, boop, pretend I'm floating in the air. Boom. And he brings us back. He just brings you back. It's, it's Jesus. It's what Jesus did. You don't have to earn it back. You don't have to prove yourself back. You just call on Jesus. You say, Jesus, I drifted. Bring me back. And he brings you right back to the standard. We compare this message I gotta kinda see where I am in my notes, I lost myself. So the danger of neglecting this salvation. He's not warning those who oppose God. This letter is not written to sinners in the world who are rejecting the message about Jesus. These are people who accepted the message. They put their faith in Jesus. But he's saying, be careful that you do not drift. You will not drift into obedience. You will not drift into the presence of the Lord. Our culture will help you make sure you do not drift. You will stare at the, this little device all day long and not drift into the presence of Jesus. You have to choose to go into his presence. And he has given you everything. He's opened the way by giving his life. He sent his spirit to empower us. It's no longer in my own strength because when I don't feel like it, I just say, Holy Spirit, help me feel like it. Help me do it even though I don't feel like it. Help me be diligent. See, it's not about willpower at all. It's about calling on Jesus. The scripture warns us, pay attention, be sober, be vigilant, listen, to, or pay attention to how you're listening to the message. Okay, don't, don't be confused. This is, it says listen very carefully, but that listen very carefully means to, to, to meditate on it, to ponder it, to take heed to it, to obey it. When Jesus was teaching in Mark chapter four, he said, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. He's not saying this. You know, if you just listen close, what he's saying is, put it into practice. The closer you listen. You know why we put this little sermon notes thing in here? I heard someone this week, I was listening to a sermon. They said, this is your doggy bag. This is your doggy bag. Okay, not like the doggy bag when you follow your dog around and scoop, you know, after. But this is when you go to a restaurant and you eat a meal and you have to take something home with you. This is what you take home. I mean, surely, I'm not the world's best preacher, but surely in the 45 minutes I sit here, there's something that the Holy Spirit says, hey, there's, there you go. Sometimes people say, well, pastor, you gave me too much. Well, just focus on one. Write it all down and then say, Holy Spirit, Pastor Tom gave me 10, you give me one. Don't take my word for it, take his word for it. But if you're not writing anything down and you're just relying on good old memory when you walk out that door and putting it into practice... We're drifting. Sometimes I don't even remember what I preached on Wednesday. I'm serious. <laughs> there are times I don't remember after service. What did I preach on again? You gotta lock into that one thing. And I promise you, when I put a sermon together, there's at least one thing I'm locking onto 
usually I got a whole list. And sometimes I even take stuff out because I'm like, okay, that I can't take anymore. I know, it's hard for you to believe. You thought I was so perfect. <sighs> so in order to keep ourselves from drifting, you have to maintain, let me put it up, Romans chapter 12. This says it good, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. That's drift. If you do not keep your spiritual fervor, you will drift away from it. Now, it doesn't say work up your zeal. It says keep it. The Holy Spirit brings us zeal. But here's the thing. If we have, if the fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross, took away my sin, sent his spirit to live inside of me, no longer even excites us a little bit, I'm wondering if we've drifted. Think about that. I mean, I'm not saying it should cause us to jump and shout and woohoo, but it ought to at least be something that brings a smile to my face. I mean, Jesus did this for me. I don't have to worry about where I'm going when I pass from this life. My eternity is sealed because of what he's done for me. And he did it when I was his enemy. He knows what I am. He knows what I can offer. He knows what I bring to the table. And it's not a whole lot. But yet he still died for me. He still saw worth and value in me when I was at my worst. So I'm not going to sit here and wallow in condemnation and guilt and, you know, I know I'm not living like I should. I'm going to say, I've drifted and I'm going to get him to take me back. And we'll go back there. And I'm going to start doing what he told me to do in the beginning. See, some of you are sitting here today thinking, God, I just need a word from you. And God's like, I already gave you a word and you're not putting it into practice. And if you don't put that word into practice, nothing new is going to help you. God, if I could just get this one thing, if you could just deal with this one thing. No, if you would just, if you trust me, we'll get to that thing, but start here and trust me. If we're gonna keep ourselves from passively drifting, we have to keep pursuing Jesus. It's not enough to try to stop drifting. It's not enough to try to stop going against the flow. You've got to actually start pursuing Jesus. That's the first step. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, says it clearly. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Do not fix your eyes on your spouse. Do not fix your eyes on your parents. Do not fix your eyes on your pastor. Do not fix your eyes on a deacon. Do not fix your eyes on some televangelist. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't fix your eyes on Donald Trump. Don't fix your eyes on Gary Johnson. Don't fix your eyes on Hillary Clinton. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus. He's the standard. What anyone else tells you is not the standard. Jesus is the standard. He's the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. And if I am going to keep myself from drifting, I have got to keep pursuing him. If I'm going to avoid sin, I've got to pursue him. If I try to just avoid sin, I'm going to sin even more. That's what the Bible says. If you make a list of sins not to commit, you will have a greater desire to commit those sins. That's what the law does. It actually stirs up desire in us. That's why Paul says, who can set me free from this? I don't know what to do. I make a list. Stop doing these things, and then I want to do it even more. Get your eyes on Jesus. Start pursuing Jesus. Start spending time with Jesus. Get in his presence. Get in his word. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, you will not drift away. In Hebrews chapter three, the warning that's given to us, God says, I was angry with the people in the Old Testament because their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. They drift. I tell them what to do. They do not do it. They drift away. They think they're my people. They say they're my people. They keep going through the motions. They keep showing up in church. They keep giving their, their tithe. They keep doing these things, but they won't do what I told them to do. They ignore his voice. 
Be careful, brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Warn each other every day. Warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Sin is destructive and deceptive in nature. When God comes to us and reveals something, whether through his word, through a message, we just know it's God, we've confirmed it with the word, and we do not diligently continue to put that word into practice, we run the risk of drifting away. If we don't continue to pursue Jesus, we run the risk of drifting away. We get to the point where sin deceives us and hardens us against God. It's always said of sin that sin will always take you further than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you ever wanted to give. But you think you got it under control. You think you can just play with it. You know, thank God for his grace that covers up this sin. Let me tell you what, that will take you further than you want it to. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you're willing to give. It's deceptive. And don't be deceived by the fact that it says hardened against God. Hardened against God does not mean rejecting God. It just means no longer listening. I mean, if if it was, I completely turned my back on God, I hate God, that would be easy to recognize. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about people who love God, they just don't do what he says. Their hearts are hardened against him. Jesus is my savior. Great, but he wants to be your Lord. And if he's not your Lord, you're on a dangerous path drifting away. That's the warning that he gives. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Not our own version of Jesus, this version of Jesus. And the only way we're gonna be able to keep our eyes on Jesus, pursuing him, hearing what he says and obeying him is by being in this book. We have got to diligently be in this book. That's the warning from Hebrews chapter five. Look at what the author says. There's so much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. What? They're not listening. That was the warning. Listen carefully. They're not listening carefully. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. So let's stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let's go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Later in the book of Hebrews, he talks about those who are mature. You know who those who are mature are? They train their senses to do what is right. They don't just hear God's word, they train themselves to do God's word. That's the mature. Notice he doesn't say we anymore. (laughs) I like that. He doesn't say we are so dull. He doesn't say we have been believers so long and we ought to be teaching others. He is teaching them. Saying you are. You're spiritually dull. I mean, there's a time for milk. There's a time for your favorite sermon, your favorite preacher. There's a time for TBN. There's a time for Christian books. There's a time for Bible studies. Those are good. They have their place. But you got to get in the book. And you got to spend time with Jesus. It can't just be five-minute devotions for for, for busy people. You want to spend five minutes for busy people with Jesus, you're going to have a five-minute for busy people relationship. If you neglect your marriage the way we neglect our, marriage, our relationship with the Father, most of us wouldn't stay married. Five minutes a day with our spouse. Way to change your life forever. I mean, we don't go to that marriage conference, do we? Five minutes of intimacy with your spouse to change your life forever. All the men would sign up for that. Wouldn't be a lot of women in that class. And there wouldn't be a lot of strong marriages either. You can't neglect it. That's what the writer's saying. He's warning us. I know we're busy. I know we didn't say, this book is stupid. We didn't do that. We just didn't have time for it one day. And then the next day we were right back in it. But then it was easier the next time to say, well, I don't have time today. I don't have time today. Because it's a suggestion book anyway. I mean, it's, it's not like it's the owner's manual of my life. 
Yes, it is. And if you treat it like a suggestion book, you'll do it when you have time. If you treat it like an owner's manual, you'll go to it every single day to make sure we're living life the way we should so we don't drift away. Some of you in this room have been saved 50 to 60 years and you ought to be teaching some of the younger people that come into this church that have no idea how to serve God. The Bible says it. Older women, teach the younger. Teach them to serve God. Teach them what you know. Teach them what you've learned through experience. Teach them about the faithfulness of God through hardship so they don't turn their backs on God. Older men, teach the younger. Train them, help them. That's what the command of Scripture is to us. Learn, grow, mature, so that you can help others grow. So you can come alongside others and warn them. Not so that you can pinpoint in their life where they're doing it wrong. You, you're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're doing, yeah, wouldn't everyone want to hear that? Look at all the things we're doing wrong. <clears throat> Praise God. Pastors aren't immune from it either. Sometimes the phone rings and, Pastor, here's what we're doing wrong. Pastor, here's what we're doing wrong. Pastor, here's what we're doing wrong. Are we doing anything right? Get in the book. Get in the book. Not just for our own sake, but for the sake of those that the Lord wants to bring us. Oh, I sure wish this, this church would fill up with people. Are we ready to teach them? Are we ready to train them? I mean, even Jesus could only handle 12. Sure, it's quiet in here today. Because <clears throat> if we're not ready for him, stop praying for it to fill up. If we're not ready to teach them, if we're not ready to be inconvenienced, if we're not ready to take them by the hand and help them as they walk through the mess of their life, and instead of trying to fix every little thing, just start with one thing. Let the Holy Spirit pick it. We don't have to pick it. You know, <clears throat> the church, thank God we've been delivered. Well, those people that are coming to church, Pastor, did you know they smoke? So? Pastor, do you know they drink? So? I mean, we get kids to come in here on Friday night, Pastor, they swear. I know. They don't know any better. They're never with adults that don't swear. I mean, just be one adult in their life that doesn't swear. Show them what it looks like. You don't have to, this is the house of the Lord. Don't swear in here. Why not? At least you're here. Because you're not going to get fixed out there. But that was our problem back in the day. We just wanted to fix everybody the moment they walked in the door. Thank God we don't do that anymore. But sometimes we need to start fixing ourselves. I mean, some of us have been, you know, the Lord's been working on me for that problem for 50 years. Man, he wants to move on to step two. Luckily, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, so he's not getting bored yet, but come on, let's move on to something else. Let's start doing what he said to do so we can move on to something else. All right, pastor, move on to something else. All right, the last one. We got to pursue Jesus together. We pursue Jesus. We do what he says. We pursue this book, and we pursue Jesus together. The warning he gives us in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Who can be trusted? God. He can be trusted to keep his promise. Let's think of ways to motivate one another. Remember we were supposed to warn each other? From Hebrews chapter 6, here he says, let's motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Motivate each other. Don't point out what everybody's doing wrong. Find a way to motivate them to do what's right. Let's motivate each other to do love and good work. Let's not neglect meeting together as some people do. The NIV says, as some are in the habit of doing, but to encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, if this was written over almost 2,000 years ago, and the day of his return was drawing near, and they needed to meet together more than every day because they were meeting together even every day, what should we be doing? 
It doesn't mean we have to have a service every day. It doesn't mean we have to come into this building every day. But we need to be connected every day, encouraging each other, watching out for each other, making sure that we're, we're doing love, making sure we're, we're doing good things, making sure our lives are being built on this relationship. <clears throat> but here's the drift. I missed last Sunday. You know, I, I, I mean, there's always a good reason why people aren't in church. I mean, I hear them all. Pastor, we're going to be in Mitchell. Pastor, we're going to be in Sioux Falls. Pastor, we're going to be here. Pastor, we're going to be there. Pastor, we're just going to go to the lake because, you know, God created the lake and the lake is where I find Jesus. Great. Great. You know, there's always a good reason. And I'm not going to be someone that says, you got to be in the house of the Lord every day that the the doors are open. And if you're not, but here's here's the warning. Be careful of the drift. Be careful of the drift. Because before you know it, It's easy to just pick anything over assembling together. And if 2,000 years ago, this person said, hey guys, watch this. You gotta start, you gotta keep meeting together. And what if, what if they were neglecting meeting together because their lives were in danger? I mean, they were being persecuted for being Christians. So maybe some of them were just scared. I mean, maybe it wasn't they just wanted to sit at home and play on their iPad. Maybe they were worried if they met together with other believers, they were going to be pointed out, named as a believer, and lose their life. Even in the face of that possibility, the writer says, don't neglect meeting together. I get so tired of reading all these articles about You know, why the church is failing and the church institution and, you know, God didn't create the church. Yeah, he created the church. And if the church today doesn't look like it should, then get yourself involved in it and help it be what it should. I don't think the assemblies of God is perfect, but I think it's something that the Lord's led me into. He's plopped me down here, and so I'm gonna help it be the best it can. I don't have to run to the next denomination. I don't have to run to that one because they're all broken. I don't have to go to the next church. Oh, you know, that church, you know, it's all that church. That church, that church. No, it's not that church. It's me. It's you. I'm my own worst enemy. And God says, you stay together because I'm going to use that to help you, to encourage you, to strengthen you. Stay together. Notice that in the NIV it says they get in the habit of not coming together. And no one ever really says, well, you know, church is just a waste of my time. We just got out of the habit because it's a slow fade. It's a drift. He goes on to warn us in Hebrews chapter 12. Don't just show up. Don't just go to the service for, you know, your morsel of life for the week. Look what he says. Work at living in peace with everyone. How many of you know, if we're going to live in peace with everyone, that's going to take work. Raise your hand. Yep, that's all of us. It, it, I mean, we could, live in, in, we could live in peace with 75% of the world without a lot of work. But it's that 25 that's going to need a lot of prayer, fasting, and work. And you're not going to drift into it. You know what you're going to drift into? Come in a few minutes late, sneak out a few minutes early. That's what you'll drift into. You'll drift into, you know, I was there Sunday morning. Why, do I, why should I be there on Wednesday night? Sunday school, why should I go to Sunday school? I mean, you know, once a week, twice a week. Why, why do we need more? Meet together more as you see the day drawing near. If the habit back then was to drift, how much more so would the habit be today to drift? But I don't see the point. I don't see, here's the point. Obviously, the, the creator of our lives, the manual, says do it more. Now, we got to do it better. It's not just about coming here and going through the routine and the motion. we got to make sure what we're doing here is what this book tells us to do. And if we're not, let's start doing what it tells us to do when we meet here. Because we don't have time to waste. Anybody got extra time to waste? No. 
So let's make sure when we come, we're ready to engage one another. We're ready to engage the Lord. Make sure when we come, we're ready to listen. Make sure that when we come, we're ready to to minister to someone else. Make sure that we're engaged in this process. We don't want to waste time. I mean, the lake is waiting. So be ready. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness ever grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Chapter 13, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. What the enemy will want to do, what the drift will do is isolate us. Be by yourself. It's just you and Jesus. That's all you need, just you and Jesus. And there's so much truth in that. I'm not going to argue that it's just you and Jesus, that all you need is Jesus. I'm going to tell you, that's true. All you need is Jesus. But this book that Jesus gave us says, me together, be connected with each other, deal with the hurts that you have with people, don't let bitterness, don't let bitterness root up because it will defile many. I mean, if you've ever been somewhere where bitterness between two people sprung up and then when it boiled over, it affected more than just those two people because they didn't get dealt with. And the, the writer says, do it. Pursue these relationships with one another. Deal with your hurts. Come after each other. Make sure that you connect with one another. Be careful. That's what he says. Be careful. And all of these things, we're going to come back to. Because we're going to go through the book of Hebrews, and we're going to talk in detail about each of those warnings when we get there. But today he says, watch the drift. Be careful that you pay attention to what you've heard, the truth of what you've heard. Don't let what somebody else said, don't let what you feel, don't let what culture says dictate what you do or how you live your life. Let this book be your guide. Follow it, trust it, because it stands firm. Stands firm. Whether you face hardship, whether you face persecution, whether you face death, you may have a legitimate reason to to do it. I'm telling you, those people are in danger of their life. I don't want to meet together because I don't want to face the lions in the Colosseum. That's a good reason. As a pastor, I don't think I can argue with that. If if I called and said, hey, I've missed you in service, and you're like, well, pastor, I'm afraid if I come, I'm going to get eaten by lions. I don't know if I could be like, well, you know, come on, suck it up. That's a legitimate reason. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to get eaten by lions either. Let's just Skype. I can watch church online. It'd be safer. But he says, you know what? You don't, don't drift. The last thing I want us to do is leave here feeling guilty every time we have to miss a service. I don't want you to feel that. You know, I know it's summer. God love it. We got to get out there and enjoy the sun because we know that the snow is coming. We're not going to complain about it because the Bible says don't complain about anything. So we're just going to take it as it comes. Enjoy it. You're going to have family reunions. You're going to have weddings. You're going to have graduations. You're going to have vacations. I get it. Have it. Do it. Great. Watch the drift. Watch the drift. Be aware that you're going to drift. I know you're busy. Get in this book. Don't just read it, but really get in it. Apply it. Focus on it. Get your eyes on Jesus. Don't just try to stop sinning. (laughs) Thank God, sin is done with. I don't have to walk around guilty. Oh, I gotta stop this, I gotta stop this, I gotta stop this. No, I just gotta get my eyes on Jesus and start going after him. He's already taken care of, if I just keep pursuing him, he's gonna help me take care of it along the way. I'm not gonna deny it. I'm not gonna excuse it but neither am I going to let it define me. I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to go after him. I'm going to watch the drift. Today we need to get our oars in the water and start rowing. Some of you are going to sit here today and you're like, you know, that's a great reminder. I mean, you haven't drifted. You're you're there. And you're like, but man, I needed that. That's a great reminder, Pastor. Thank you. I don't want to drift. I'm going to get my oars in the water. When God says something, I'm going to do it. I may not understand it. I may not like it. 
I may not make sense of it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to do what he says because his word is right and he's the owner. He knit me together. He knows how I work. He knows what's good for me. I'm going to do it and I'm going to just keep rowing, okay? But some of you maybe have drifted and you're over here. You know, you've heard God. God's spoken to you, but it's like that gentle, think of a lifeguard at the swimming pool. Do you ever hear the short whistle? They try to get your attention. You're doing something you shouldn't do. You're going too far. Lifeguard at the beach. Yeah, you're going out too far. There's a current. Watch it. Short whistle. Some of you, the Holy Spirit's just a short whistle today. He's like, you're drifting. You're drifting from my word. You're drifting from obedience. You're drifting from church. You're, drif you're drifting. Short whistle. Some of us might be so far over there, there's a long whistle being sounded today. And my prayer is that we hear it. Because the danger is, when we get over there, our hearts get hardened and we don't hear it. And so every single one of us should assume right now, that's where we are. And say, Holy Spirit, show me where I am. Am I here? And if he says, no, you're not there, you're here. If he says, you're there, start looking at my life. Am I reading this book? Am I in this book? Am I studying this book? Am I applying this book? Then I'm not over there. Have I started to drift? Not what I feel, what am I doing? Stand with me if you would. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is life. It's our life preserver. Thank you for the warning that you've brought us today that we can easily drift. We don't want to drift. That's why we're here. We're here today because we trust you. We're here today because we love you. But we recognize that the drift can be so subtle that if we're not pursuing you, if we're not pursuing obedience, if we're not pursuing you in your word, if we're not pursuing you together, we might be drifting. And so we invite you right now to shine a light on our lives. Show us areas where we might be drifting. Show us steps of obedience that we need to take. Help us today to just have the strength to admit we've drifted. Because we know your desire is not to scold us, not to hit us with the oar, but you want to bring us back. You want to take us right back to that place so that we can start walking in truth again. God, I know there's good reasons why we drift. Sometimes the pain of our lives Sometimes the pain of what's done to us. Sometimes it's just hard. But help us not to exalt our reason over the truth of your word today. Help us to conform our lives to your truth. Because we can trust you. You gave us your best when we were your enemies. And you're going to give us everything else we need. It's your desire to bring us life and not death. So help us to put that confidence in you. Before I pray a prayer of blessing over you, I want to give you just a moment to interact with that word and respond to it. I believe it's important for us to, to take this time and even though we ask everyone to, to keep your eyes closed and not look around, because I want you to just focus on you and the Lord. I mean, there are those that, that look around even still. I'll leave that between you and the Lord, but I want you to focus on Him. There's something about taking this moment before we dismiss and just run out into the world and get on with our lives to just process and admit out loud 
or even just by raising our hand and saying, I'm drifting, I'm drifting. And I wanna give you a chance today before you leave to do just that. There's no judgment. As I prepared this message today, I raised my hand. God, I'm drifting, I've drifted. Take me back. Help me to pursue you again. So there's no shame. There's no condemnation in it. But if you're here and you'd be willing to just say, Pastor, as you pray, pray for me. I'm drifting. I'm drifting. Whether you're drifted one step or 50 steps, I'm drifting. If that's you, just slip up your hand, say, pray for me. Put it right back down. Amen. I don't want to drift. Jesus, I don't want to drift. Bring me back. Anyone else? Father, you see every hand and you know every heart. I thank you that in this moment, God, you are rejoicing at those who have recognized they've drifted and you are bringing them back spiritually right now to that place. And God, there's a freshness, there's a newness. Whether they feel it or don't feel it, it's what's true. And now I pray, Holy Spirit, give, give us grace to apply this. Give us grace when tomorrow we don't feel like being in your word. When next week we don't feel like being in service. When, when tomorrow we don't want to, to treat people the way you've told us to treat people. When we want to just hold on to that bitterness and we don't want to deal with it. God, when, when the chance comes and there's a reason, there's an excuse. Holy Spirit, give us grace. Give us grace to follow you. Give us grace to trust you. Give us grace to walk after you. Help us. Help us to pursue Jesus and to not drift away. God, I pray your blessing over everyone that's here today. Would you bless them? God, would you keep them? Would you cause your face to shine on them and be gracious to them? God, would you give them peace I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Man, as you get ready to be dismissed, if you want to spend time in prayer, we always open these altars for you if you want to spend some extra time. Uh, if you want prayer and haven't been prayed for yet today, our prayer team will be here and we take a moment to pray with you before you leave. If you need to be dismissed, uh, please just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to stay for a few more moments. God bless you as you go. Thanks for being here. This cornerstone, this solid ground.